Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitofstate.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitofstate.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Question, what do you see? A 54-year-old milkshake salesman with a bad kidney walked into a hamburger joint in San Bernardino, California and saw a great hamburger restaurant. But he saw an empire. The brothers, the McDonald brothers, they just saw a successful hamburger stand. What do you see? The rest is history. Colonel Sanders, 65 years old, Social Security retirement, lived in a town where they put a new interstate highway and took away all the business from his restaurant. So he put a pressure cooker in the back seat, took his recipe for chicken, and started all over again and created an empire. You ought to be able to see as good as a 65 54-year-old, 70-year-old person. What do you see? King Saul walked out one day and saw a 12-foot giant and said he's too big to kill. David walked out, saw the same giant, and said he's too big to miss. What do you see? The greatest human factor that influences the way you do life is how you see things. It's called perspective. The way you see your spouse, your job, your problems, your past, your future, and everybody and everything around you. It's called perspective. Yeah. What makes the difference in your life and somebody else's is how you see things. We're all living in the same world at the same time, but everybody doesn't have the same perspective. Ever heard the statement, there's more than one way to look at something? And boy, is that true. So if you're with me, I'm over in Numbers chapter 13, and I think nothing explains that better than right here where we see two different ways of looking at something, with the eyes of faith or the eyes of fear. You know, either you see with faith or you see with fear. Everything you look at, the last diagnosis you got from a doctor, the last... Uh, interview you had with your job or career, whatever challenge you're facing today, there's only two ways you're looking at it, either with faith or with fear. So let me set up the story. Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They'd come through the Red Sea. They'd come up on the other side. They had been in the desert for two years. They were on the edge of the promised land, and they're at a place called Kadesh Barnea. God says, boys, you're going in. You're going to send 12 spies in to spy out the land. Seeing is believing. So they selected 12 spies. And when they came back, they came back with two different reports. Ten of them have a negative report. Two, Joshua and Caleb, had a positive report. Ten saw with the eyes of fear. Two saw with the eyes of faith. Ten said, we saw obstacles, challenges, problems. Two said, we see big opportunity. 
And the 10 missed incredible opportunity because they had the wrong perspective. They didn't approach their problem from God's point of view. And think about this. 10 leaders, 10 people in charge kept 3 million people out of their destiny. And they all died in the wilderness. They didn't have eyes of faith. They saw with eyes of fear. And that decision, if you're a mom and a dad, it'll affect your children. If you're a business leader, it'll affect your office. If you're a school teacher, it'll affect your class. If you're a minister, it'll affect your church. That decision on how you see things will affect everything. Numbers 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Cana, which I'm giving you. Let each tribe send one of its leaders. There were 12 tribes, so there were 12 leaders. Verse 18, go and see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, what the cost of living is, how high is the gas price, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns? What's the soil like? Are their cities walled or unwalled? Is the land fertile or poor? So they went up and explored the land. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they came back from exploring the land. They came back to Moses at Kadesh Barnea in the desert of Paran, and they reported to them and the entire assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. I mean, the grapes were so large, it took two men to carry a stalk between them. They said, we went to the land which you sent us, and indeed it does flow with milk and honey and opportunity. Here's the fruit of it, but your butt will get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> One word kept them in the wilderness, but. That's seeing with the eyes of fear. It's a great place, they said, but. But the people who live there are powerful. I don't have a college education. I'm a divorced mom with two children. I'm a minority single woman. What opportunities are there for me? I don't have a great job. And you can just go yada, 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 yada till you're blue in the face. The people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified. They saw everything from fear. Complete fear. Verse 30. Then Caleb shut up the people before Moses and said, Stop it. Get some tissues. We should go up at once and possess the land, for we are well able to take it. They are bread for us. But the men who had gone up with him, the other ten, said, We can't. One said, We can't. The other said, we can, and they were both right, because your attitude makes the difference. And they spread fear among the Israelites and brought a bad report about the land they explored. And they said, the land we explored devours the living. The people there are great in size. There are giants in the land, and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look like grasshoppers to these giants. They saw with the eyes of fear. Notice three things about seeing with fear. Number one, they misunderstood and underestimated what God could do. 
Verse 29, they're powerful. The cities are powerful. They're like giants. We can't do it. They're stronger. They have more money. They're on more TV channels. They said, this is a strong nation. We can't beat them. Now think with me. Israel had just been set free from the strongest nation on earth, the Egyptian empire. They had just been set free from the greatest nation on earth, and now they're worried about some local tribe. Have you noticed the longer you look at a problem, the bigger it gets? You keep looking at it with the eyes of fear, and it gets bigger and bigger. And here's what's kind of sad but funny. 38 years later, when God finally let them go into the promised land, a prostitute named Rahab told the spies, you know, the people who are living here in Jericho have been afraid of you for 40 years. We heard about the miracles of Israel, and we've been living in terror of you for 40 years. 40 years these wussies stayed in the desert, and the people were terrified. They could have taken it 40 years earlier, but they didn't believe God. They underestimated what God could do. And probably some of you today in situations are doing the same thing. You underestimate a big God and what he can do. You haven't had enough life under your belt yet or victories under your belt yet so that that's just not going to be a problem for you. I mean, even God says, anything too hard for me? I hadn't found it yet. What's your problem? It's not too big for me to handle. Number two, they underestimated what they could do. Verse 33, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. And listen, the way you see yourself is the way the enemy will see you. You got a bad self-image, it's going to show up and the enemy's going to know about it. We're just little bugs ready to be eaten up. We could never do this. It's too big of a challenge. So after 430 years of slavery and conditioning as slaves, they still saw themselves as slaves. Some of you are brand new creations in Christ, and you still see yourself the old way, the old life, your old sinful self, your old failure self. You're still living in the past, although you've got a brand new born-again experience, and God says that's not who you are, that's who you were. I will tell you who you are. You are redeemed. You are justified. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are not condemned. And some of you need a lobotomy. You need to re renew your mind a little bit. They underestimated what they could do. They said, we're like grasshoppers. These guys are giants. And number three, problems never defeat you as much as your perspective defeats you. What problem are you facing this morning? No matter, no matter what problem you're facing, your problem is not actually the problem. Your problem is the way you see the problem. Your problem is your perspective, and perspective is how you see it. So do you see it with eyes of fear, or do you see it with eyes of faith? These people were defeated because of their own poor self-image and negative attitude. I mean, they didn't even try. Well, I could never get that scholarship. I don't know how we could afford to go to school. We'll write some letters, write hundreds of letters, and apply for every scholarship they got. Most of them go unclaimed. 
I read about a woman in People Magazine sent out like 200 letters and ended up getting a free college education with scholarships that had nothing to do with what she was going to do. But she applied for them, and they just sat there, and she got them. She's no better than you. She just used stamps. You just sat back and said, I can't afford to go to school. You can afford to do anything God wants you to do. He'll make a way for you, but he's not going to do it sitting on your bottom. You're going to have to take some action and believe the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. With God, all things are possible. The word impossible is not in God's vocabulary anywhere. And Israel, well, they missed it. They missed it. Now, look at the results of seeing with eyes of fear. Number one, discouragement. Numbers 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of Israel raised their voices and wept aloud, joy to the world. What a night that must have been. The result of seeing your problem with eyes of fear is discouragement. They had a pity party, a thumb-sucking pity party. He had just whipped the biggest nation on earth, drowned the entire army, including Pharaoh himself, and they're not even going to try. You know, I, I hope my wife, in defining me one day after my departure from planet earth, will at least give me credit for trying. I'm not real good, might not might have been very bad on that one, but at least the sucker tried. Some of you reach way too low. You need to give it a shot. Go for it. Give it a try. You'll feel good about yourself even if it doesn't work out. You'll be stronger. It always works to your advantage, not your disadvantage. And it builds inner strength and fortitude. Discouragement. I'm not sufficient for this task. Poor me. Yeah, and you stay in counseling for the rest of your life. Y'all pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. No, we're going to kill you, send you on to Jesus. Live like a mosquito. And if your parents did, you don't have to. You don't have to. They don't get to decide how you end up living your life. You do. You do. You got, the, you got the control to choose yes, no, make choices once you leave home. You don't, you're not defined by their behavior or their expectation or lack of it. You know, nobody figured there was a butterfly in a, in a caterpillar. Who knows what's in you? Only God can let that thing out. A second thing about seeing with fear, discontent. Discontent. Always moving around. Never satisfied. Never happy. Verse 1, Numbers 14, and all Israel grumbled against Aaron and Moses, the leaders, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, and I'm thinking Moses, if I'd have been Moses, I said, I wish you had, <laughs> wish you had, if only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, they were grumbling. First they mourned, pity party, now they're murmuring and complaining. People who feel like failures are always the greatest critics. If they don't feel good about them, themselves, they don't want anybody else to achieve in life. And when these guys had the opportunity and didn't take it, they immediately started blaming everybody else. They went on Oprah. They went on Montel. They went on all the programs. Why? It wasn't their fault. Aaron, Moses, and the whole leadership, they blamed anybody and everybody. The third thing that happens with fear, defeat. 
Numbers 14, verse 3. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us die by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken from us as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Oh, yeah, we had so much fun there making bricks. Are you hearing this thinking? They've lost their mind. They preferred slavery to risk. They valued slavery and safety to being free. And a whole lot of people live in their comfort zone rather than their potential because they're afraid to fail. They're afraid to fail. God might not come through. It might not work out. And forever they lived like a, a little pygmy. And they, they had this great potential. But we need to go back to Egypt. It was safe there. Yeah, to get a life of nothing, it's safe. If, if you're going to do anything to achieve anything, you're going to have to risk financially, emotionally, relationally. You're going to risk something to achieve anything. There's risk involved. You risk a relationship. They might say no. Might say yes. Try again. Try again. Though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will uphold him. Get back up, Sparky. Maybe you're going to score on number eight. But don't quit. I'm glad Thomas Edison didn't quit on the light bulb. Are you? I'm glad. I know when Bill Gates did the computer. People said, nobody will buy a computer. Remember that? That's crazy. I remember, I think it was Henry Ford said, if I'd have given people what they wanted, they'd have had faster horses. I'm glad he went ahead with the car, aren't you? And during the gas crisis, I'm glad Tesla had an electric car. I don't have one, but a few proud, arrogant people in here do. They didn't have to get in line to get gas. I'm not going to drop any names, but uh, they're, they're here, and they're listening. So they preferred slavery to risk. They valued slavery and safety to freedom. Well, if I get out of this abusive relationship, I might not find anybody else, so I'll just stay in here and get beaten. Dummy. You prefer slavery to risk. You could have a great future out there, and God isn't going to do anything until you take a step of faith. You have got to take a step of faith and trust Him. Then you're going to see doors open, opportunity come, but not sitting there safe. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. My granddaughter corrected me that said, no, Poppy, it's spelled F-A-I-T-H. She didn't get the hyperbole there about the exaggeration there for effect, but she was right. So a lot of people would rather live in slavery emotionally, relationally, or spiritually than risk being free. They'd rather go back and be slaves than to take a risk. I'd rather get my guaranteed paycheck than go into business for myself and write my own because I might not make it. Yeah, but you might make it. Everybody that started a business, went into business for himself, had to face that same possibility. But if you were a good employee, you can get a job back. Go for it. Give it a shot. Give it a try. Sure there's a quiet crowd. I'm trying. Man, I'm trying. I need a little help. And the tragic thing about these people is they lost their momentum, and they died in the desert anyway. They died anyway. They're afraid of dying. They died anyway. Folks, you are going to die, but die for something. Don't die for nothing. They died for nothing. Instead of seeing with eyes of faith, they saw with eyes of fear. Verse 30. Caleb and Joshua were the only two in the whole nation that saw with faith. 
Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and possess the land. We are well able to do it. So what does it mean to see with the eyes of faith? Ephesians 1, verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be open. Now, I don't have eyes on my heart. It means literally the eyes of my understanding. Paul said, I want you to learn to see with spiritual eyes. See, when you were born physically, you were given five physical senses, hearing, taste, touch, smell, and sight. Everything you and I experience in life comes to us through those five senses. So when you were born physically, you got five physical senses. When you were born again, spiritually, you got spiritual senses, spiritual eyesight, spiritual ears. Ever been reading the Bible and a verse explodes off the page? You've seen it a hundred times, but all of a sudden you said, wow, I never saw that before. Well, God just opened your spiritual eyes. You could be listening to a sermon, and all of a sudden you say, wow, I never saw that. I never heard that before. God just opened your ears. And I'm thinking, we've been preaching it for 10 years. Where you been? But God suddenly opened your ears, and you heard it. But that's, you know, I could complain, but that's good that you finally heard it. So it wasn't your physical ear that was the problem. It was your spiritual hearing. Back in the early 60s during the space program and race to get to the moon before the Russians, the first cosmonaut up in space circled the earth. He said, I looked for God everywhere and didn't find him. I didn't see him. Therefore, there is no God. And all the atheists applauded and said, there you go. That proves there's no God. Three weeks later, John Glenn, a born-again believer, went up in space, circled the earth three times, and he said, I saw God everywhere. I felt his presence with me. I saw him everywhere. So one guy says, I didn't see him. The other guy said, I saw him. Well, who was right? They both were right. The Bible says in John 3, unless you are born again spiritually, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You are blind. Remember the hymn we sing, I was blind, but now I see. God gave old Newton spiritual eyesight to see his lost condition and need of a Savior. So in every problem or obstacle, there's always an unseen factor we don't normally see. So if we're going to solve it or overcome a problem, we've got to learn to see it the way God sees it. All through Scripture, there's incident after incident of people getting their spiritual eyes open. In Genesis 21, uh, Abraham, you know, has had a child named Ishmael with the handmaiden of his wife, Sarah, who suggested this affair. And Abraham said, good idea, honey. <laughs> yeah, she definitely was not an American wife, that's for sure. And so she got a kid, and Sarah doesn't have a child, and there's a lot of jealousy here. And so Sarah tells Abraham, throw her out, kick her out of the house. So he does. And then she's out there in the wilderness with her child, and she says, God, don't let me look upon the death of my son. And the Bible says, God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water in the middle of the desert, and it met her needs. In Luke 24, there are two disciples coming back from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had been resurrected, and they're talking about it. And a stranger walks up and is 
quizzing them about what they're talking about. And they don't recognize it's Jesus with them until he opens their eyes and they saw it was the Son of God walking with them all along, but they didn't see it until he opened their eyes. In 2 Kings 6, we have a story of the prophet Elisha and his servant Gehazi. And they're in a walled city, and an entire army has come to circle the city to take them captive and kill them. A whole army has come for two men. That's, that's influence. Wow. Think about that. Gehazi was so frightened. You know, when you see with the eyes of fear, you're always going to be frightened. He said, they're going to kill us, Elisha. And Elisha says, God, open his eyes. And the Bible said, God opened his eyes, and Gehazi saw angels in chariots of fire circling the whole city and blinded the entire enemy army. And old Elijah led them on a horse, led the whole army blinded into the city captive. It was there all along. If God opened your eyes to what's around you right now, some of you who are African-American had turned white, and some of you with permed hair go straight, it would shock you. It would shock you to know what's around. So when I read it in the Bible, I have to believe it's there, even though I don't see it, because sometimes He will allow you to see something, but sometimes not physically, you have to walk in faith, but he gives us glimpses that these people, they had protection, they had Jesus, they had presence, they had defense, but they just didn't see it physically. But it was there all along. He had opened their eyes. And maybe God can open some eyes today. In Genesis 13, God took Abraham up on a hill and said, look, boy, look as far as you can see. Look north, south, east, and west for all the land you can see. I'll give it to you. If you can see it, you can have it. If you can't see it, you'll never have it. Well, I couldn't see myself changing. You won't. Well, I couldn't see myself with a better life. You won't. I couldn't see myself living in that house. Don't worry. You won't. I couldn't see myself having my own business or having a better job or a better marriage or a better income. First, you see it. That's called vision. And that's what pulls you through all the poop of the problem of getting there. It's that vision that gets you to do what you don't want to do, but you must do. And law and rules won't produce discipline. The Bible says where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. They perish. What produces discipline is vision. When I want something so bad, I'll do anything it takes to get it because the reward will outweigh any sacrifice I make. So you've got to be sure your vision's greater than the sacrifice you're about to make, or what's the point? You'll just cast off restraint. You're not going to get out of bed. You're not going to push the cake away. You're not going to go exercise. You're not going to discipline yourself at all because you don't see anything better. So when God blesses you, He lets you see. He gives you vision, light in darkness. And boy, it changes everything when you can see that. See a better future. Helen Keller was asked one day, what could be worse than being born blind? She quickly responded, to have sight, but no vision. Mm. George Bernard Shaw wrote, some men see things as they are and ask why. Other men see things that are not yet and ask, why not? 
Why not? One person sees from their limitation and natural circumstances, and the other can only, can see, can only see the visible through the natural. God wants you to see the invisible and count it as though it were. The happiest people in the world are always people who see something beyond themselves, larger than themselves, to make them forget themselves so they can give themselves to that vision. Isn't there something better than watching soap operas every day? Better than just waiting once a year for that vacation? Isn't there something better than waiting for retirement? God help me. When you lose your vision, you are finished. When Alexander the Great had vision, he conquered the known world in his early 30s. When he lost that vision, he couldn't conquer a liquor bottle. When David had vision, he conquered Goliath. When he lost that vision, he couldn't conquer his own lust. When Samson had vision, he won every battle, killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. But when he lost that vision, he couldn't conquer 110 pounds of pantyhose. Delilah. Yeah. When Peter had vision, he could preach on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. When he lost the vision, he couldn't admit he was a disciple of Jesus to a teenage girl. What do you see? See, what we need in Summit right now is more important than money, and we certainly need that. But what we need more are people with spiritual eyes who can see potential rather than problems. Can you see potential opportunities? I want to challenge you to look around this property, look around this facility, and see thousands of people yet that can be reached for Jesus Christ. See a children's building over on the right side of our property where kids are taught to love Jesus. See this sanctuary filled with 5,000 people three times a weekend. See a youth building built over here with a gymnasium. Take kids off streets. Give them alternatives to what the world offers. So every church eventually, come on, man, help me. Every church eventually comes to its own Kadesh Barnea where the stakes are high and the risks are great. When Israel was in the wilderness, they didn't have to fight giants. They didn't have to go to H-E-B. They didn't have to go shop. Everything was, they just nursed pablum every day. For, for, when they got in the promised land, your biggest challenges, your biggest problems, your biggest giants, your worst tests are in the promised land. The promised land. Now you got to sow or you don't reap. You got to plant or you don't harvest. You got to fight or you're going to be a prisoner. You got to, it's like, wow. I thought the promised land would be easy street. No, no, the wilderness is easy street. No risk, no reward, no nothing, but you're safe. But the promised land's got lots of risk in it, but great opportunity and great reward. And I'm amazed how many people would rather just squat down in the wilderness. Well, we're doing okay. <laughs> I define that like kissing my sister Sherry. Yeah. I love my sister, but I could sure think of a bigger buzz than kissing my sister. That's what I call okay. Okay. Every church eventually comes to its own Kadesh. Think about it. You either move forward in faith or you settle back in mediocrity and safety. That is a dangerous word, safe. And I'm amazed how many of you like it, safe. There's no reward in safe. No risk, no reward. 
God never called anybody to do anything that wasn't risky and had the potential for failure, not one. And yet we want the easy life. We think, oh, I've got, I'm on easy street now. Oh, brother. I remember we used to have millions in the bank and not a bill. And I said, when we build this church, all hell will go online against us. And sure enough, it did. But hey, that's, we, we're forewarned, so we're forearmed to know. Yeah, you're always going to have battles. Spiritual warfare is the norm. It is not the exception. It is the norm of people who are taking land. You are a threat to the enemy. He does not attack what is not a threat to him. And so I want to move forward. You know, we are in the promised land at Summit, just in, just in. But like Joshua told the people of Israel, hey, there remains much land to be possessed. We got 68 acres here. I want that gym up. I want that youth building. I want a children's building over here. I got a lot of plans before I leave planet Earth. I can see it, but I need you to see it too. Are we going to do something significant for God in San Antonio? Are we just going to be a bump along, little happy backslapping community church? Are we going to be a force for God in our city, our state, our nation? How do you see it? What do you see? Do you see with the eyes of fear or do you see with the eyes of faith? I don't have to be the leader, but I want to be part of something that's shaking, that, that has adventure, that has some world impact to it. I just want to be part of a team that has that winning nature. And that's what we want. That's what I want. That's what God wants for us. But we need everybody buying in. You know, teamwork only works when everybody on the team works. We got... We, we, we need, we've got nearly 400, but we need 200 more volunteers for Chosen. 200. Guys, we need you. I read in a book on family and marriage by psychologists two years ago that when a wife sees her husband bathing the kids and vacuum the floor and taking care of the dishes and doing some helpful things around the home, it actually increases her, her uh, arousal. So, boys, you need to sign up for Chosen one night, Friday night, and half a day on Saturday. We need you. It's home field advantage. And wives, get him off that couch and get him to sign up. Women love to see men serving. It really is a real fact. Not just kidding you. And so there's no reason we can't have all 600 of you to take care of what's going to be our largest turnout yet for our women's event. So come on, men. Pick up a plow. Do something back here and get registered at the table out there with Chosen. We need you. So in your life and mine, are we going into the promised land? Or are you going to sit and die in the desert? Safe, but unfulfilled. Living half a life. Thanks for joining us today and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.